again to the soccer OG. Hey, that's me, Max Bretos. This is episode 96. As always, a reminder to rate, review, download, subscribe, tell a friend. Check out the Soccer OG podcast library. Many of you are, and uh, it's uh, it's wonderful to see. See something that may be a little dated to go back to get uh, a little knowledge on the world of soccer. Check out the Soccer OG on YouTube under my name, Max Bretos. We begin the preview of the World Cup. I'll give you my top five storylines uh, that I am looking for in Qatar. Some maybe you would uh, expect, some unexpected. And I'll give you some names to remember. So go Soccer OG on YouTube under my name, Max Bretos. This week, we will discuss the MLS Cup playoffs, the U.S. men's national team, and of course, Qatar. Joining me in the business end will be Jeff Reuter of The Athletic, a writer who will be covering the World Cup. Obviously, very close to MLS, and we're in the throes of that. And I, I hope you guys appreciated the the live from Bank of California Stadium pod, which uh, I was able to to do roaming around something different. If you haven't, check it out. Last pod, episode ninety five, and we uh, will talk about what was a I think a real banner day for the league with these four games that were very well attended. And had a lot of interesting players out there. Some performed, some did not. So uh, you get uh, you get a chalk tournament as well. The best teams reaching it to the end. You get the first seed and the second seed playing each other in the West. And in the East, you get the first seed and the third seed. And the third seed happens to be the reigning champion. So heavy hitters across the board. Coming up in stoppage time, we will discuss the situation for Jesse Marsh at Leeds. It does not look good. In fact, I woke up Monday morning assuming I would be talking about the departure of Jesse Marsh at Leeds. The good news is the team is still committed. And I know they want to get to the World Cup break and see what they can do to improve this team. Because talent-wise, they need improvement at striker, defensively. And Jesse Marsh would love to be part of that. The question, can he make it? And we'll tell you why I don't think he will. I hope for the best. I prepare for the worst. But we'll talk about that in stoppage time. Great show coming your way. Let's get started. We are back and I will keep the MLS Cup playoff talk to the business end when we speak to Jeff Ruder. But uh, looking forward to next Sunday, the Western and Eastern Conference Finals. LAFC, Austin FC, Philadelphia Union, New York City FC. I I can't remember a playoff this compelling. We look for where the, the best teams made it. It doesn't happen, rarely. I looked at 2016 when you had Toronto FC taking on Montreal in the Eastern Final and then Seattle and Colorado in the Western Final. And remember, uh, you know Seattle was a four seed that season. So you usually have disarray, and that's fine, and it's built for disarray. But, you know, if there's a league that needs its marquee teams that have been the best teams all season to be there in the end, it's MLS, and they got it. We are uh, we are just ripping towards the World Cup. It's going to be here in no time. It's going to be in your lap. You're going to be up at 3 in the morning or 5 and 8, 5 a.m. on the East Coast and get ready to watch these games. So we're certainly looking at... All things World Cup, not just from a U.S. perspective, but, you know, we, we're going to watch everything. You're going to watch everything. If you're listening to this podcast, you're probably going to listen to everything. So um, it's an important time to see how players are performing. I mean, on the world stage, it's like, you know, it's heartbreaking because so many guys seeing their World Cup dreams vanish. I mean, this weekend, Gavi got just smashed in the groin. I don't know how he is. I haven't checked. I hope he's okay. But it was a... Awful injury. Want to wish that. But the list grows. You know, Diogo Jota, I was talking about the Portuguese team. Uh, Reese James, I mean, guys may be on the fringe, but some guys, it's going to keep, keep on happening. So this is going to be a pretty rough couple weeks. I talked about the U.S. team and how uh, it, it's got a pretty clean bill of health with the exception of Chris Richards. I, I, I commented this scuffed Scuff Podcast had their Twitter handle and they were giving their projected 11. They had Chris Richards in there. And I go, how? How can you have him in there if he hasn't played? I mean, not so much that he hasn't played, but he's been injured. I give him one week. If he's not back next week, he's not going to the World Cup. 
If he comes back next week, he probably joins the team and probably not a starter at first. I hope he can make it because he's such an exciting prospect. And that's a guy who's going to be a, a huge factor in 2026. But the bigger issue is how do we keep all our players upright? Many who have a injury record. Obviously, Christian Pulisic, who stayed pretty healthy for the last year. I mean, it was one injury after the other. Now it's Gino Reyna, who came back and started for Dortmund, scored a goal for the first time in forever. And while we celebrate that, deep down inside, I don't want Gio Reyna to be playing more than 30 minutes a game. He has a bunch of games. There's a bunch of games in the European leagues. And we talked about this last week, Do you, where the MLS international camp, which we'll talk about with Jeff Reuter here in October, featuring players in MLS that have been knocked out and also featuring players that probably aren't going to the World Cup, but that could create a more exciting camp atmosphere. I don't know if they're so excited knowing they're not going to the World Cup. You want to go there. And there's like seven guys, I think, on the list for the U.S. that uh, are probably going to the World Cup, probably less than that, that are going to be at that camp. Uh, Kellen Acosta, Jesus Ferreira, Aaron Long, Walker Zimmerman, Paul Ariola. I think that's the definitive five. Oh, De- DeAndre Yedlin's going, so that's six. And then maybe Jordan Morris, Chris Roldan, Christian Roldan. Those last two, I just don't really see how it happens, but it is certainly possible. And, you know, part of it, it's like you're going to get these players that are going to be tired and kind of fatigued in many ways heading to the World Cup. And then you have those that are fresh. And remember, usually during the World Cup, you have about a month off. So all of that's happening. Gio Reyna's doing well. The striker situation, again, another goal by Ricardo Pepe. I think he has six, whatever he has. And they had a big win over PSV. So Groningen are out of the relegation picture. They beat him 4-2. Josh Sargent didn't score, but played again. Norwich, he's playing well. Jordan Pifak played, didn't score, but Union Berlin, they lost to Bochum, but they're still in first place. You know, I, I really believe that it's going to be hard for Greg Berhalter to leave those three guys that are performing, or one of them out. He's going to keep Jesus Fedeta, but I, I really believe we're going to get those four strikers, and he's going to have to be creative uh, and uh, resourceful with that quartet. This was uh, a weekend which saw, I mean, certain players catch my eye. Obviously, Fede Valverde, it's no longer a secret. He scored, I think, three goals in three games. Three of the best goals you will see. Uh, we Getting back to the U.S. discussion, Christian Pulisic did come off the bench. It seems like it, it, he, a run of games is imminent, you know, but who? I mean, they've been underproducing. But at least here, and they maybe start one out of every two games. I don't think that's asking too much. But we're not going to lose much sleep over it. There was this offer from Newcastle United. The question is, will he go to Newcastle and play? I don't know. You could look at some of that Newcastle team and say they might be on par here with Chelsea. Newcastle are a top four team. They went to Spurs and won. And by the way, uh, Guimaraes... Bruno Guimaraes, who plays for Newcastle, I think he's the MVP of the, the Premier League right now for the last three games I've seen. You got to watch more Newcastle. You got added to the list. That's why this Premier League's a Super League, man. You got the big six, and now it looks like it's going to be a big seven. Arsenal, Chelsea, Manchester United, Manchester City, Tottenham Hotspur. Uh, who am I missing? Uh, Liverpool, and now Newcastle United. Seven teams is a lot. Who knows who joins them next? I will talk about Jesse March's stoppage time because part of that power broker situation in the Premier League affects Jesse March and Leeds, who are now in the relegation picture. But we'll talk about that in stoppage time ahead. Um, it was... Everything kind of points to the World Cup at this point. So, you know, injuries, and form, all these things kind of go into the mix. By the way, on my YouTube thing... I. On my YouTube, under Max Bretos, we talk about one of the main stories, and it's the final World Cup for Messi, Ronaldo, and Neymar. And Ronaldo, we don't pay attention to Portugal. And now with all this situation at Manchester United where they're saying, we want you to move on, no one wants to take you, does it make Ronaldo a little more dangerous in the World Cup? It's amazing how far he's fallen from the best player to, is he in the top 100 players in the world? I'm not being, I'm not trying to be funny here. When you start listing off the best 100 players, does Ronaldo's name pop on there? How, how could he with the form right now? 
It's unbelievable. We could say the same about Messi. Messi would appear there because he's been playing at a pretty good level, but not in the top 10, right? I don't know. Fun times. Well, we have a lot to get to, so we will get to the business end. You're going to enjoy the conversation with Jeff Reuter, and we'll cover many topics that will uh, appease you because right now you can get all the information you can get. That's why I select these guests because they bring it. Stick around for stoppage time. We'll talk about Jesse Marsh. We'll see if it's something that can be saved. I certainly hope so. They're still playing hard. They should have goals. They just haven't been able to get them. Let's go. Soccer OG. Business End is next. Soccer OG, we enter the business end. And joining me this week from The Athletic, he writes for them, Jeff Reuter. We'll be covering the World Cup for uh, basically a, a, a resource that I check every day. Wonderful group of writers. And I've had a couple of the guys on here. What, you guys have a really good decorum about you guys, Jeff. Yeah. The, I mean, yeah. the Athletic guys are fun, cool, down earth. There's no jerks. Maybe Felipe said you're the jerk of the bunch, but I don't believe it. Did he? <laughs> he fair. says you're a pain in the backside, but <laughs> that's Felipe for you. Though. No, I mean it's great, man. I mean we're we're lucky. We really are. Um, a lot of us, Paul Tenorio joined in 2018, but the rest of us joined in 2019. Um, and so we've had three years. We've we've gone through all of these. You know, it's it's a Zoom workplace, and in 2019 that seems so crazy. But then suddenly oh. pandemic hits, and we're perfectly set to have the best group chat in American soccer. We're perfectly set up to have, uh, you know, just just plenty of actual camaraderie and stuff. So it's a good group. It's a really really good group. Really 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 happy. Well, I enjoy your work, and I'm thrilled to have you guys. And I mean, in in some capacity, I've spoken to all those guys on this platform or the one for LAFC. And it seems like uh, you guys always have the, your radar on for the 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 interesting stories, the ones that people care about. I mean, uh, I remember when pe- we were talking about it here in L.A. and Felipe did this article about the uh, the name El Trafico and why it's oh, drawing yeah. people away. I go, that's amazing that he had that going on. And then obviously recently the all the interesting data that you guys had about the the released MLS salaries. Uh, and yeah. what it all means. And it's, it's, I guess it's a, you guys have the right good radar, but it's when you think of MLS, it's, it, there's, there's so much meat on the bone, interesting stories that you really don't get anywhere else. Right. Yeah. And, and I think that's actually been one of the hardest parts of this publication um, writing for this publication has been specifically finding that sweet spot, because I, I think that for years, all of us, I mean, most of us came from a freelancing background as well, um, which is just the nature of covering soccer in the United States, right? There's a lot of freelancers who are doing incredible coverage who are, you know, tied into the beats of an MLS team or, or keeping the, you know, a, a very unique perspective like someone like an american soccer analysis where they're you know kind of freelancers but they're they're chipping away and they're doing the the advanced metrics well before other publications were getting to this right and so i think that when you get to a publication like this there's an expectation um that you are going to be telling something different that you're going to tell it with a different approach that you're going to have a different perspective that you're going to be looking for stories that you aren't going to find in newspapers or other websites and so sometimes it is uh, about you know challenging yourself and saying okay the obvious storyline of the conference semifinal is El Trafico again, right? But is that the best angle to be covering or does it make more sense to be covering something completely different? And and people will look and say, well, wait a minute, why didn't you have any coverage whatsoever or lead up coverage about the galaxy or anything like that? But instead we've got something that's going to be um, you know, arguably more interesting and more unique. Uh, and so it's, it's, it's a fun challenge. I think it's something that all of us have gotten the hang of at this point, certainly, but uh, yeah, we appreciate it. I always, I always have to reinvent things. I mean, always, it, it, every, you always have to look for an exciting story. But I want to talk a little bit about the athletic platform in the World Cup a bit. But you mentioned the MLS Cup yeah. playoffs, which went, as we like to say in the sports business, chalk by and large. Yeah. The only thing that didn't yeah. go chalk in the semifinals, you get the reigning champions still in there and they play a rivalry game against Philadelphia. So I guess we're, we're licking our chops at what lies ahead. This morning when I woke up, <laughs> what was <laughs> We saw this with FC Cincinnati where they took receipts, but this morning I saw, I'm sure you did too, Anthony Precourt, yeah. the laminated, where he had all the predictions of Austin FC, and then everyone goes back. How could anyone have possibly thought Austin would have finished higher than, say, ninth right. in the West in year two? So you have that too, which is an outlier, so to speak, even though they had a great season. But yeah, it's uh, to me, 
and I all due respect to the Real Salt Lake runs. I love what they did last year and they've done in the past and in other yeah. situations where you get the five seed or the four seed. But in a season like this where you had two excellent top seeds in the conferences, and then obviously Austin, Montreal, oh, they're not making the conference finals, but the conference semis, I mean, we just look at that. Yeah. The, the first round, we had to kind of get through it. We The opening optics was the New York Red Bulls, Red Bull Arena empty, and your heart right. kind of sinks and go, here we go again. But the conference semifinals, and I know people don't watch MLS. <laughs> I, I hope we can get there for your sake and my sake. <laughs> Amen, man. Amen. <laughs> and I think, because, but when I look at the product, yeah, it's not, it's got its flaws, which I also find compelling. But yeah, from those yeah. four games, I can't remember just collectively, um, and granted they were separated by three days, uh, just uh, a more a stronger feeling connected to big game kind of culture, yeah. rabid fan atmosphere, talent. Every team you had a couple young players, you go, this guy's going to be a big thing. And then you had the established powers and right. I, I'm prisoner of the moment, obviously Jeff, but that was, that was different. Those four games with the way they were played said, this is, this is a trajectory of the league that we want to, we certainly want to be on. Yeah. I don't know if I can remember a, non MLS cup playoff round that was as engrossing since what was it when when uh the Canadian match oh, yeah with well, the Toronto Seattle final Montreal. yeah right and then they got to the the Toronto Seattle final I think that's the last time it's really had that same sort of every game has these higher stakes sort of feel and that's no disrespect to past winners or anything like that but it, you know I think it's a perfect example you know you're, you're talking about that first round of the playoffs and I think of that Monday night double header that they had and so the the first round was New York City was hosting and they had to relocate they were going to be playing Red Bull Arena and suddenly the Mets got eliminated from the playoffs because they're the New York Mets and so they were playing in a baseball stadium and, and you have Phil Neville saying that they had to rebook all the travel, but you get out there and you're in an outfield of a baseball stadium. Like, okay, well, at least the next game's in Frisco, Texas, which is where the hall of fame is for North American soccer. It's uh, you know, they own the stadium. And then you remember, all right, they co-own the stadium with Frisco and the local high football, school football association. Right. <laughs> and so suddenly you go in and you have these football lines on a soccer field and it just looks absolutely ridiculous because it doesn't go all the way across. It shows you the difference of width, which I guess is a good lesson for the American sports public, but it's not a good advertisement for major league soccer. And then you, you, you go three days later and now you have El Tropico again. Right. And I mean, just the, the visual I was rewatching the last 12 minutes right before we recorded this. Cause it's just my motivation now, I guess, because it was just so insane, but um, man, like, can you think of another moment where you have someone like a, a Chicho Arango who who's on his knees after the final whistle crying for essentially a quarterfinal win, right? Like you just, you haven't seen that in major league soccer in a long time. You really haven't. No, I agree with you. And it's, it, I, I, we had to kind of, like you said, get through that. And I think that it's interesting. You mentioned that Dallas, uh, visual because that was frustrating because it's all if you're at uh, soccer specific stadiums, but then you have those football lines. But look, I get it; these these stadiums have to pay the bills, sure, so yeah, we have to yeah. send it. But Joe Joe Public doesn't quite know that. And then the the situation with Miami, New York City FC, where you had this, which is a good part, the end of this legendary career, and you have Gonzalo Higuain on his knees, and you can see the baseball lines, and you right, see the exactly. you're like. Eh. <laughs> There it is. It's flawed, but it's MLS certainly being something very, uh, very unique with regards to that. But then the, I guess with MLS, we it's they want the parity. That's why they have this single game playoff, and it works at the moment. But if there's ever a league that needs its top teams to kind of emerge, it would be MLS more so than I mean baseball and NFL. NFL it doesn't matter who goes to the world uh, super bowl or or right. what have you people MLS kind of does people will watch it does. although there's more teams that are compelling and that's a product of where this league is going but uh this is uh as they as you have one versus two or one versus three and you've got you had one great rivalry game in la and then you have a pretty good rivalry game in philadelphia versus new york city fc right uh just with actually the rivalries it's uh it's really amazing to me because everyone wants to fast track MLS. And they want to compare them to the premier league or La Liga. Right, and I go, look, right, it's impossible. Right. They've been around for a hundred years or 150 years. These rivals go way back, yeah. but in five years or in the case of LA or 10 years in the case of, or seven, eight, nine, 10 years, Philadelphia, New York city are these games. Right, right. It certainly feels that they're uh, on par to becoming that 
Am I wrong? I mean, it's, it feels no, like these rivalries right. have done a lot in a short time where the emotions are so high in a yeah. short amount of time. And it's a league that loves its rivalries. It's, it's obsessed with the idea of it, right? Like there's two or three rivalry weeks every single year, right? And and you have teams like Minnesota and Kansas City saying like, why are we rivals? Like, <laughs> why are you forcing us into this? We just want to- Shut up and up. play. <laughs> You're exactly, rivals. right. And then after the season, you have Kansas City saying things like, we're really looking forward to St. Louis. So we actually have a rival in this league again. You know, it's like, hold on a minute. You've had Real Salt Lake for a decade, right? And, and you think about like all of these classic Kansas City RSL matchups and you have RSL playing against Colorado as well. Like these teams do find the teams they don't like playing against. Um, they really do. And, and, and it'll be interesting to see. I think that there's, there's potential for LAFC to be walking into another one because I would say the Galaxy, obviously, regionally, and they bought into it credit to them you know more than i would say the new york new york teams have i think that los angeles has actually bought into the local rival side i would say lafc and seattle has quickly become something that i view as more of a rivalry almost taking that baton from the galaxy um as they fell into their rebuilding cycle i think lafc and seattle i mean the, the first win in mls as well with the um you know that balls that's skirting by stefan fry i think it's just kind of great moments right that make these rivalries and the playoffs are certainly where you get the most of them and so if you know austin's going into this and you know they're printing their laminates of no one believed in them which by the way is just the most ridiculous trend in recent years and i don't know what you think about this quick but every single team in major league soccer is the underdog nobody believes in anybody in this league. oh yeah the- that's absolutely ridiculous to me someone has to be the favorite i still remember last year it was like brian schmetzer and bob bradley were both like nobody believes in our boys i'm like you're two of the favorites what are you doing like someone needs to at least want to be expected to succeed it's just it's it's, it's so irrational and ludicrous to me maybe that's some that's some homework we got to get over that hump and someone's like we got to be the bully yeah maybe the league's got a I mean, I would imagine loosening up the salary cap a bit would go a long way because someone, I, you know, LAFC kind of wants to be there the way oh, yeah. they build. I mean, they had this game without George O'Killini played a couple minutes. Gareth Bale, Christian Teo didn't get off the bench. These these are turning out I almost, they almost felt like luxury way, players. Can I just say, I love that. I love the idea that like, you know, you score a match winner in the 94th minute against the Galaxy because of some terrible defending on a set piece, right? And suddenly like, okay, well, who are we going to bring in just to show you what you're missing? Let's just bring Chiellini in for two minutes at the end. <laughs> Just like, oh, I bet you wish you had one of the generation's greatest center backs right now, huh? Well, we do. So here he is. He didn't even play. I love it. It's just the ultimate flex. And it's only in MLS that you can make a flex like that. <laughs> it's really, I hope we see more, more of that because it, it is bizarre. But it, it, look, there was, you know, the talent level. I don't want to diminish what happened 20 years ago when there's, or 15 years ago, and there was less teams. So it was more concentrated on less teams. Right. It was a very good level. And it's harder now when you have, 28 teams and counting and it's growing but uh i look at the talent across the board first of all some teams didn't make the playoffs toronto who finished about 30 points behind philadelphia right. and these right. a player who's making 14 million a year and they didn't even sniff the playoffs right that's right and then yeah. you have uh in this i mean obviously we have the established stars you mean carlos vela um Although uh, Sebastian Driussi with Austin, the New York City right. FC crew that was able to do that. Philadelphia is hard to put your finger on because, you know, I have Daniel Gazdag, but so many guys that, I mean, Leon yeah. Flack, who scores a game-winning goal. Right. But that's but that also the young talent that is the most compelling feature in my estimation because when they talk about MLS and the gap between the European-based players, you know, a lot of those European-based players were here in MLS. So it's cool to look at them, but you mentioned... Yeah. Whether they're American or not, or Ismail Kone at Montreal, Alan Velasco, right. uh, yeah. the Philadelphia guys, the, the incredible kids. Uh, this is, I guess there's appointment viewing. We're not there again. I'm just, but when you want to see, okay, who do I want to see that's a good player? You had a list of like 20 guys over these conference semifinals, at least, that you could say okay. are bona fide you know, guys that could perform anywhere, really. Yeah, I think so. And, and I think that they're also kind of highlighting a trend that's been growing over the last few years with the sal- you know you mentioned the analyzing the salary you know payroll figures and how teams are spending and what percentage is going to the top player the top three top five same state school and i did all this for the athletic but uh you, you notice that like in the east toronto chicago atlanta three highest spending teams in the eastern conference none of them make the playoffs miami another high spending team only barely skirts in the galaxy if you look at just like dollars per point spent more than any team in the western conference basically uh in order to finish you know fourth seed um it, it's showing i think with the dp rule in major league soccer there was always this understanding that 
uh, you know, some teams were going to spend big. Some teams were going to want to build a trio of Landon Donovan, David Beckham, and Robbie Keane. Some teams weren't going to want to do that. Some teams were going to take the per- Portland approach where you sign Diego Chara, and then you buy him down, and then you bring in Valeri, and you bring him down, and Blanco, right? You're going to want to take these sort of, like, budget-conscious gambles um, and, and see if you can build a core that way. But now that you've got teams that are wanting to spend $14 million on Lorenzo and senior salary or spend $8 million on Jared and Shakiri, um, you're seeing the disparity and you're seeing the issues that can come when you're only investing in the top three players on your roster and you're not able to do what I think LAFC has actually done in a very compelling way this year, which is to use the mechanisms and find ways to be able to build out that depth um, to an extent that I don't think MLS teams have really shown to be able to do because of the league's roster rules. Um, I think we're at an inflection point. I really do. I think that at a certain point, you've got to, you've got to considering loosening the reins a little better else. I don't know how much this is going to change over the next five, 10 years. Right. I, I think that if you don't change the rules, this is the product you're going to get. And it's fun at times. Right. But you're also going to get teams that are, um, you know, te- pe- people who are going to tune to the playoffs and say, where's Lorenzo Insigne? Why is he not in there? Right. Like how, how could his team not make it? This is a ridiculous format to them to, to, you know, Joe sports fan. Right. So it's tough. It, it's, it's, it's to a point now where it's become more of an impediment in my opinion to the sporting side of things than it's become a benefit. With you're discussing the, the salary cap, and I highly recommend go see Jeff Ruter. Uh, R U E T E R R U E T E R. There you so go. So I spelled because yeah. we I, you need my help with my last name too, but go check him out on Twitter and then just scroll down a bit. But they they broke down the the salaries listed by the uh, MLSPA and how it works. But you mentioned the inflection point, so we know that MLS is going to be reluctant to kind of loosen those reins because they as always and for those who may not be familiar they want to protect the best club but more they also the bottom clubs too the owners have yeah. a big say in that and a lot of them don't want an expanded salary cap because they may not want to spend the money some do but there's creative ways as you pointed out and you mentioned LAFC and what they were able to do and I know you talked about Gareth player not being a designated player but his right. money point does go over that threshold but yeah. what did you see from their creativity? Not only that they were able to get all these players uh, under the wire, mm-hmm. but is that an LA uh, situation where they kind of get it? Because we know Killini and Bale wanted to come here, but can other right. clubs do something like that? I know more players want to come to MLS. They see it as a, as a good oh, league. Yeah. They see it as a profitable league, but can this happen in say Houston or Orlando, who are ever anywhere, even right. beyond that, Columbus, for, for instance. I think it could with the right owner, but I think it also would take the right sporting staff, right? You look at the the, the data analysts and the scouting department that LAFC has built. You look at the, you know, the you know, John Thorrington's entire sporting operation and everyone that he trusts with their feedback and, and being able to have those sort of cap experts who are looking and saying, okay, well, technically we've got 75,000 loose dollars in the supplemental roster. So why don't we put this player on that salary and then we can bring in this player on the senior roster for more money, right? And so they're, they're doing that sort of, um, give and take exercise on spreadsheets so that they are able to do it more effectively on the field. LA, of course, is going to be a big pull. Everyone wants to live in Hollywood, the, the Will Ferrell component, right? You, you know, it's all this, but every market can find it. Toronto is going back to Italy, right? After the Sebastian Javinko successes. And then, you know, Michael Bradley with his success at AS Roma, I guess, brings a little bit of following as well. But, um, you know, now they're really leaning into it with Insigne and Bernadeschi and Cresquito and everything. So, you know, there's, there's, that's another niche where you look and you say, okay, well, this is, this is another potential thing. Maybe you become, you know, FC Cincinnati and finally they're, they're coming online and, you know, in their fourth season had a really big kind of turn of the corner into contention. And so you say, okay, what if, what if this is a club that, um, you know, is able to really tap into that sort of community aspect? Maybe it's, it's more of that sort of central European like Germany or something like that because of the brewing culture that they have in that city as well. You look at, um, you know, I think every market can find these different, unique points atlanta of course has been you know pointing to miguel almiron if you look at their recruitment over the last handful of years and it's a lot of younger south american players or south american players who weren't getting moves away from river plate or Boca juniors who are like okay how am i going to get to europe i need to pivot i need to go to major league soccer so there are ways you can do it there are pull factors that i think mls teams don't need to apologize for being mls teams and they can say look your check will always clear on time you can't guarantee that everywhere in the world. Nope. Uh, nope. Your atmosphere is going to look like this. Your training center is going to be top notch. Um, you're going to have, you know, a growing youth contingent as well, where you, you're going to have that next generation where if you're interested in getting into coaching, eventually you're already working with these sorts of players, maybe at a more frequent 
um, you know, level of practice or more frequently in practice than you would be if you're, you know, playing in a top five league in Europe. So um, it's getting there. It is getting there. I think that these other markets, it, it's not just an LA thing. It's not just a New York thing because New York's not doing it in either club. Um, NYCFC is recruiting expertly with city football group, but neither of them are, you know, chasing stars or anything like that. So I think there's potential. I think that every team could build their own blueprint. They just need to hire out and they need to be smart about it. I wonder if that's sustainable with the the big DPs as well. And maybe, like you said, the inflection point or even a breaking point where mm -hmm. Toronto and you, you mentioned Shakiri is making a ton of money. And these are teams that didn't sniff the playoffs. And right. you wonder when you don't make the playoffs and you're making 150K and someone's making 14 million, how that plays right. out. It just, it, it's just doesn't. It's always going to be a flawed system, but I, I wonder, I mean, that's still going to be there. And look, no one gets more excited to see. I don't worry about the money so much. I'm like, oh, Lorenzo Insigne is coming here. Jordan Shakiri's coming here. That gives this league yeah. clout. But uh, right. I don't know if that's something that could sustain. Uh, yeah. Based on what you said with the New York City FC model, where really good scouting gets young players that have the chance to blow up. And I should say the same to Chicago. They got uh, Jean Duran, who's now yeah. in the crosshairs of all this. So it's, it seems like it's working in many ways, but I wonder if that, I wonder if many years from maybe not that many years ago, we look back at the DP culture and say, Oh, that was nice, but we don't, we don't do that anymore. Right. I mean, like, you know, would you rather have three guys who make 7 mil each and then the rest of your roster is under $750,000 or would you want to have like 10 guys who make $2 million each? Right. And that that's still about $20 million, but that's probably a better roster um, or certainly a better defense, <laughs> which is which is the other thing with MLS is the level of defending has not kept up with the level of attacking midfield play and the level of attacking play. And so you're getting some more lopsided games, which is fun. It makes a great entertainment product, which ultimately at the end of the day, that's what this is. It's an entertainment industry. So it's working well. It's just in kind of like a perverse way where it's like you're purposely not purposely, but you're happening a, like an undetected consequence of what you're doing is making your defenses much worse because they're not really allowed to invest in that unless they're willing to trade in on their attackers, which no team is ever going to choose really. So unless you're Nashville, actually, yeah, <laughs> that's the one. Well, the one it, it's funny when Giorgio Chiellini, when he talked about these Derby games with the galaxy, he goes, it's not a Derby game. He goes, you, you don't score six, seven goals in a Derby game. He's thinking of Juventus. Milan yeah. or Torino, it's it's always one set on anger. So it was funny to see that, but that's the way MLS is. We we embrace it. Yeah. And I think if LFC Galaxy ended one zip, people would feel unfulfilled. So there I agree you go. With that. <laughs> I completely agree with that. Yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, like all those Seattle Portland matchups that end zero zero. Yeah, no one's happy about after those. Wow, that's incredible. Right. This is the MLS Cup playoffs. You didn't get any of those Cascadia teams. We figured we'd miss them. And I, I we certainly want them back next year, but that's gonna that's gonna inspire them because it went well without all these big name clubs and players. I'm not yeah. saying you didn't miss them, but uh, <laughs> it's a different feel. It's a different feel. Let's uh, spin a little towards the world cup from the MLS yeah. perspective. And I'm trying to go somewhat chronologically. It's all going to happen really fast here. This world cup's yeah. going to be here and Jeff's going to be part of the athletics coverage of Qatar uh, from MLS. Uh, we know Greg Berhalter is going to announce this October camp. People were in a panic mode when, Let's just say Aaron Long and Walker Zimmerman will be this as now the center back pairing. Right. Uh, some people think that there will be some adjustment with Aaron Long. We don't know that Greg Berhalter could be steadfast. No, that's my pairing, which would suggest that. Right. But right. In, along with those two, Jesus Ferreira, Paul Ariola would be in the mix. They just got eliminated. Uh, DeAndre Yedlin's going to be there. Yep. Maybe to a lesser degree, Jordan Marshawn Johnson. The one who's still playing is Kellen Acosta, who will be there. So yeah, about seven, eight guys in this this. This roster will, this camp will keep them sharp right. before they are called in. While in Europe, teams still have six, seven games. Gio Reyna, I think, I think with Dortmund, if he plays, he has seven games still from now to the beginning of the World Cup. That's crazy. It's crazy, but that's, that's too many true. games. That's Zero too is many too games. few. Yes, <laughs> yes, I agree <laughs> with too that too. <laughs> but I mean, what, what do you think? I, 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 during the Nashville game, Marcelo Balboa on two the NS says he's not too concerned. He feels that that camp will help get these guys sharper i find it hard to believe that's the case but at least it's something right, uh, right. this is a unique uh, this is a unique perspective because this winter world cup but then again you talk as i mentioned the the european players are going to be overrun and maybe they get to the world cup i go i'm tired right. i need a break i don't know yeah. so uh, they won't get it they it's won't hard. get it 
<laughs> it's hard. You're right. I mean, like if only there were numbers between zero and seven <laughs> for how many games these guys could be yeah. playing, that would be ideal, right? But you know who's got it perfect is Matt Turner. Because I yes, figured with there's a bunch of Europa League games, he'll probably get three. I go, three's perfect. Yeah. Three's, three's perfect. perfect. <laughs> three high intensity, good atmospheres, right? Good competitive, whatever. Just like different, different scouting approach where you're not the whole team knows, okay, we're going to be playing against Brighton. This is exactly how Brighton plays. Like there's something different about a continental tournament where I think that that actually is going to be very good. Matt Turner, that move has worked wonders for him. Um, I would say just top to yeah. bottom. And he's got enough of those games where we we've only yeah. illuminate or we, we engage with these Arsenal games. And I looked at the schedule and for some reason, the Europa league is shoving all these games in before the world <laughs> cup, but so be it. So it's be it, perfect right? for Matt Turner. It's not perfect for everyone. It's perfect right. for him works out really really well for him for the for the mls guys i think you know it's uh it's more time together you know for better or worse you know and and i guess that actually could specifically be very good for zimmerman and long you know if they're going to be the center back pairing they need to take some more reps together they need to be able to get you know turn some of that verbal communication with each other into nonverbals or to um, kind of second nature like i know what he's going to be doing in this situation sort of moments because we don't have that partnership it looked like miles robinson was going to be that guy he tears his achilles unfortunately that turf in atlanta kind of uh, really got a lot of guys on that team this year. Uh, Guzan is another one. So, you know, so it is. But I, you know, I, that that MLS camp, the readiness, I, I mean, that's not going to make up for a tough postseason for Jesus Ferreira, right? That's not going to make up for uh, Jordan Morris and Christian Roldan not making the postseason with Seattle, right? Like, it, it, there's only so much it's really going to be able to do. It would be great to have another round of friendlies, especially with how that last round went. Um, against Saudi Arabia and Japan, but we can't do that. You can't have those games back, and you you can't really schedule more games for a player like Gio Reyna or for for any player who's coming from Europe. You just don't really have that flexibility, or you didn't have that flexibility. So um, it'll be interesting to see who gets called into that. I would imagine that there will be a couple of guys who are there just pretty much for the experience of training alongside some of these guys, but they won't be in contention. So not so yeah, okay. Yeah, so, so non World so, Cup so, players that will fill out exactly. the numbers. Exactly. Yeah. So you don't don't assume just because you see, right? Like it just it's not going to be seven guys kind of kicking a ball in a, <laughs> in a <laughs> exactly, circle. Yeah. Nor is it going to be just those seven. And like if you're called in, you're on the World Cup roster, right? Like it's not even going to be like that. So um, it'll be interesting to see who gets in that list. All the same. Hey, look, if if you're like say Georgie Mihalovic, I mean, this could be a pretty interesting camp. It could be a Brandon there's Vasquez, those guys yeah. that just like Brandon Vasquez who just aren't going to make it. But they could get this experience and see where it goes. And by the way, in a normal, traditional World Cup year, most teams have a month off a few weeks before they play a game. So that's kind of the I, – I tend to think having a few extra games before is going to get these guys sharp. And I would imagine, if I was a betting man, after the World Cup, you'll see the drop. They'll get up yeah. for the World Cup, and then they'll go – so these clubs are going to get these guys go, hey, what the heck's going on? We yeah. lost three in a row. PSG, Messi, Neymar, what up? So uh, I, I think that's going to happen there. But uh, it's yeah, agreed. It's it's interesting to see uh, how that final roster will look. So November 9th is when they're going to un, un, unfurl it. I Greg Berhalter has kept it pretty consistent, and I don't think he's in the business of pulling the rug on some of these players this late. So yeah. uh, for folks that think Aaron Long or Maybe Paul Ariola or Jordan Mars are making the World Cup. I would I'd tell you that that's probably not the case because Greg has been pretty explicit. It's, it's a nasty business in the end. Some guys are going to hear some bad news. Not everyone yeah, can play absolutely. in a World Cup. That's why when I look on Twitter, I was like, it's terrible. This guy's got it. I go, but if if this guy didn't get called in, we'd have 60 guys on this roster. So we, this is... <laughs> But do necessary. You, I mean, so what do you I mean, what does your gut say about the November 9th roster? Is it going to be a couple surprises? I know. I mean, I've had the conversation and I do some of these videos on my on my YouTube. Yeah. About, you know, and Aaron Long is like one or Jesus Fadet. I go, maybe there's a, a, a different player you bring in. But who uh, I right. would some people would think I would. I've said this, you know, Tim Ream, as well as he's playing, maybe a good emergency call in. Or right. Mark McKenzie's a guy who could maybe get ahead of a Long. Maybe a Zimmerman. Maybe Long. I would think Long and Zimmerman, my issue with them is that they're very similar. Yes. So maybe you want a little more dynamic guy alongside him. Right. But do you think with November 9th, with some guys coming on strong, and we've seen it uh, certainly in the striker position with Pepe and Sargent, but that it there could be a couple curveballs? Weirdly, 
unfortunately, the, the the biggest curveball I can imagine is Tim Ream. And it's not it's not the most imaginative, right? It's not this Julian Green sort of stroke where it's like, okay, well, I haven't really been paying attention to this guy with the Bayern Munich youth teams, and now he's going to get called into the World Cup. I guess I got some homework to do, right? It, it's nothing quite that deep cut. Maybe there's someone like a Malik Tillman who's been a little bit more of a wild card of the last six months since he committed to the U.S. program. Um, and he's been playing with Rangers over in Scotland. And so, okay, is he going to be able to fill in on one of the wing roles? Is he going to be able to play that Eunice Musa more progressive passing role in the midfield? Um, you know, how, how is that going to shape up? But, you know, I, I'm with you, man. I think that he's been pretty consistent for Halter with the players that he's called in. I, I think that he hasn't shown to want to throw in that, you know, just completely out of left field pick just to keep everybody on their toes, right? It's not Jurgen Klinsmann where you're going to call in a lower division guy like Miguel Ibarra just to show that you have that wide of a scope Forgot and about that. Cool should be working, right? Like it's, or Jordan Morris, when he was at Stanford was another Klinsman call, right? We're just calling up a college kid. So, um, you know, I, I think at this point he's, he, Berhalter has not been the kind of coach who's tactically wanted to take risks week to week and really throw opponents off. And I think that you see a lot of that sort of measured approach, that sort of consistency. It's something that he was doing when he was coaching Columbus as well. This isn't just him as a national team manager, but he is someone who pr- likes consistency. He likes having players go into a camp and they know what to expect. He likes having that sort of core of guys who have been there for three years in the same group. We knows he can depend on and knows that they understand the verticality that he wants out of the attack or the shape that he wants in defense. So yeah i mean with that november 8th like maybe there would be a couple of guys where it's maybe they make the roster even though they haven't been playing much for their clubs chris richards you know unfortunately between injuries and selection after his move to crystal palace that has not worked out the way that maybe he would have expected who knows if he's going to be healthy for that world cup at I mean, this point, right? do you think let me stop you there and I, please continue yeah. your thought but the chris richards yeah. thing is really interesting because uh i i think he has a week to be healthy or I, yeah. I don't see how you bring him in because he's going to be a week and he's not going to slide into playing with Crystal Palace. I think I he has a week to realistically make this World Cup. It's hard. Yeah, it's it, it, we're run out of time, you know, it, where you, you can't just say this guy, it, as long as he's healthy by November 1st, you know, he'll be fine. It, because not only would you be getting Chris Richards, uh, you know, just off of an injury, which you would be getting, even if he comes back midweek or whatever with Palace, but you would also get Chris Richards having not played much club football since his move having still been trying to integrate into a new club. So he's unsettled uh, for, for club in every single way of the word, new country, new league, all of this. But you also have uh, a player who was more of a rotational figure in qualifying. He, he was pretty regular, but he wasn't a knock-on guaranteed starter during these big games in Central and North America where you say, okay, well, at least he's got the big game seasoning. At least we know that he's been good for it, right? Where you think past cycles and it's like, let's say Clint Dempsey had been injured for two the last two months of the year with Fulham or whatever. He's still going to make the plane, right? Like as long as he is able to play 60 minutes or 45 or 20, you're going to be calling in Clint Dempsey, right? Chris Richards isn't Clint Dempsey. Right, so, he's also a defender. You don't just like, hey, we're going to bring in a defender for 20 yeah. minutes. That's just not the pattern. No, you need, you need defenders in form, right? You need defenders who've been playing consistent, steady, solid minutes. That's, that's the case for Tim Ream, right? It's consistent minutes at a high level. That's the entire case for it. Yes, he's kind of redundant with Walker Zimmerman and Aaron Long in terms of not being the most mobile or not being the best progressive passer in the group. But if he's playing regularly for a team that is you know comfortably avoiding relegation right now, and I think they're in the top half of the table after the result on the weekend. So how can you keep ignoring that, right? And then if you're Chris Richards, that's the player who loses the spot to bring Tim Ream in. It's a player who hasn't been playing, a player who you know, looks unsettled. And, and even though you would love to have him because of his skill set, because of the variety that he would bring to the position group, it's a liability at that point. You know, people will see the talent in Europe. And I'll use an example of Fulham Balogun, who yeah, sure. uh, is doing well in France. But, okay, imagine he, he scores a hat trick. And then all of a sudden he has like 13, 14 goals. For the World Cup, was like he's got to come in. He's informing them. You can't because uh, to what you just said, Greg Berhalter is going to have this camp. You're not going to have some starry-eyed teenager walking. Go, oh my God! Hey, I'm Falara, and that's good to meet. That's not happening. And this, I, I love having the youngest team at the World Cup. I don't want it to get any younger. Right. I like having no, a no, fresh no. team too, which we might have, which is good. I don't want it to get any younger. But then the yeah. Tim Ream situation. He's been there before. You get a chance to have some veteran. uh Verve, because he's not only just an experience, he's the captain for Fulham. And right. Even there, that's that's a guy who's going to come in w- with a really good head on his shoulders and mm-hmm. kind of lead by example, even if he doesn't play. It makes sense to me, even more so when I look at the format of this World Cup. It's concentrated where maybe a lot of 
kids are going to be distracted go hey and so relax stay in your hotel room this is Qatar there's a lot of rules that we don't have here so I think it it might yeah I think it might punish the younger players so I think anything anything a little more experience wise makes sense and it's like you have this gift Tim Ream in form playing well who can pass the ball is left-footed and sort of fits the bill but uh yeah that'd be interesting to hear his name if I did just hearing you say that tells me that maybe that's that is the one and then other things that sound nice younger players I just don't see him breaking someone's heart it's hard I mean it's hard I don't see a Julian Green I don't see a David Reggie either for that matter just getting a a deep deep in the pool starting to last minute commit who's going to throw off the entire team right I just I just don't see that happening this cycle it just it doesn't seem I'll put it this way the way this cycle went, the fact that despite the fact that they qualified comfortably, didn't need to make the playoffs, didn't miss it in Cuba, right? But certainly didn't do it with panache or flair or confidence in terms of like stoking the confidence of fans, I should say. They were confident throughout. But I don't think that the fans were looking at goalkeeper, were looking at center back and looking at striker and saying like, this is a team that absolutely has to qualify. I don't think that that's a team then that you can go and as a coach if in a team that was already qualifying by relatively fine margins, and then you're throwing and you're scrambling to throw in like, you know, a flair and Balogun is a great example of this, actually, um, you know, a player who's just had been informed, but was never involved. That doesn't send any sort of message of confidence to the yeah. public. If that's your guy or the roster. Cause they'll be like, I mean, realistically, as much as they like him, they'll be like, who's this guy. I've been with, I've been in the trenches with so I go, where's this guy. Probably yeah. razzle him a little bit. Exactly. <laughs> it doesn't exactly. in any sports situation. So, Jeff, you've been fantastic. I want to get your thoughts a bit on the World Cup and the USA's prospects. Mm-hmm. There, as you said, they didn't qualify with all that panache, uh, right. which never really happens in CONCACAF. Obviously, Canada did. They had a lot of panache, so that was a bit of an outlier. But That's if you look true. at USA and Mexico, yeah, they, they qualify, but it's always going to be a grind. That's right. These September friendlies, although they were a good practice, were a wet blanket. Yeah. And I looked at the TV numbers. They were cataclysmic no one watched grand they were early times doesn't feel like the hook is in the public i know u.s success changes all that i'm starting to ramp up just like the last two days i felt it okay world cup's coming great but that's me that's you we're soccer guys (laughs) that's right rest of america is not there uh how does it obviously success how do you see this team going and can they in a a non-traditional world cup capture the imagination of the american public I think, you know, with the numbers, you know, rank the FIFA rankings, I know you can't look at them, but they're 16th, which tells you yeah. they're supposed to go to the next round. That's right. Even though Iran, I, I was like, Iran's 20th and then Wales not too far off. So it's a tough group, but I still think that they are expected and should make it through to the round of 16. And then who knows by then it's going to be a different team. It's going to be a team with confidence and uh, right. some right. ambition. How do you see, I mean, with, with all the, I mean, it's it's been a very negative approach. You know, people are really, which is good. People yeah. are putting this under the microscope. It's our echo chamber. Mm-hmm. But the success of this team ahead of a 2026 World Cup is a game changer. How do you see it, you know, as much as we can sort of project what that uh, three, four, maybe more games would look like? I'll do this quickly, but I think that there are two very realistic paths. One's very optimistic. One's very pessimistic. And and right now I don't really see much of a middle ground option. Um, before qualifying started, I was in San Diego and I was doing a piece on uh, Landon Donovan coaching San Diego loyal. And he had told me that this group of players looked like a group of players that would probably do better in a world cup than qualifying. And I think that this is actually something that you've seen bear out over the case of the last 12, 16 months. Um, you know, a lot of the, the criticisms against Saudi Arabia and Japan was that Tyler Adams and Weston McKinney did not look good in midfield. It was like their worst games that they had had for the U.S. men's national team since uh, Burhalter even took over, right? Those were friendlies. Those were friendlies that were played in a neutral country, so there was no atmosphere in these stadiums um, in Germany and Spain, right? It wasn't even like you were playing at no atmosphere the opponent's is a key. stadium, yeah. right? And so it just, you you walk on that field and you're like, okay, well, what am I doing this for? This isn't even going to really impact our qualifying. So you're doing it for fitness. You're, you're playing that game a little bit more like, okay, just don't get hurt in this game. That's the whole point of this game is don't get hurt. Maybe have some nice moments, pad the cap total, move on from there, right? And I know that's dismissive. That is very dismissive, but that might be the approach when you're comparing it to, I'm not going to get myself injured on a field in Germany playing against Japan when the World Cup is coming up very soon, right? So they get into Qatar. They get to the big moment. They have that first game against Wales. Wales, Gareth Bale hasn't been playing. 
and uh and we covered that on this show (laughs) who knew full full circle right comprehensive here jeff that is one-stop shop i just i I think that you look and you know they're they're going to be worrying tremendously that their talismanic figure um is not going to be in form is not going to be with minutes yeah he could play in the last two games but it's two games of the season and and just the run out has not been what they would have expected from a welsh perspective so maybe wales is a little bit rattled it's also their first world cup game since 1958 they're going to have high emotions maybe they're not ready for it the u.s is ready for their limelight the return show what the program is all about now after missing 2018 they go in gangbusters they do well against wales they carry that confidence they go to england they play a good game plan they keep them neutralized one one draw it's what the u.s does best against england and then you go into that game against iran iran has got a ton of emotion right now for reasons that have you know, oh, yeah. off the field alike, right? So that is also going to be, you know- I You've think really thought this one out, Jeff. <laughs> my job. It's my job. <laughs> so so then you have this, right? So that's the path. And then you, you finish first or second in the group, okay? Let's see how England does. Doesn't matter. Because you could have probably the Netherlands and Senegal advancing out of group A. And maybe you say, okay, that's more of a coin flip. Maybe that's a game that we, we like our youth. We like our ability to break down Holland. We like our ability, um, you know, against Senegal. So- that's a good case. You could make it to the quarterfinal. The last time, the other thing I will say, there was a fact going around that the last two or three, yeah, the last three World Cup tune-up games immediately before the World Cup, the U.S. had won. The last time that they didn't win was 2002. And how did that World Cup go, right? Pretty, pretty good. It doesn't mean anything. These friendlies mean as much as you want them to. That's the positive side. The negative side is that all of these players are in not good club situations. Right. Christian Pulisic has been in and out of the lineup for a year and a half under Thomas Tuchel. Grand Potter comes in. He's still on the rotation side, getting a little more minutes, but he's not going to be warmed up. Weston McKinney is starting every week for Juventus, but Juventus is in shambles. Tyler Adams and Brendan Aronson are getting used to a new league and a, a club that's not happy with the coach who had handpicked them to bring them in. So they might be a little worried about their club futures as well on this side. So you've got a lot of guys who aren't in ideal situations. Gio Reyna with his injuries as well. Eunice Musa with some injury issues. So you have Sergio Dest obviously getting forced away from Barcelona on loan as well to be a reserve essentially at Milan, not a great situation. So you have a lot of players who are coming in kind of cold. You had an underwhelming September. They get here. They're young. They're the youngest team and they're not ready to handle a veteran team like Wales or an organized team like Iran or a team with title ambitions like England. And they don't make it out of the group. I think both are entirely very, very, very possible. Uh, My gut says that they finish second. And it's some version closer to the optimistic than the pessimistic, but not fully that confident. But I think if they can make it out of the group with this group, with this player pool, with the age of it, that sets them up really well for 2026. If they then have all of that experience, they've been able to advance out of the group. And now they're going on to home soil. Um, it's really easy to, to kind of forecast that being uh, an even more favorable sort of approach to a tournament. Jeff did not know I was going to ask that question, but man, did he <laughs> he have the answer for you? I did not. <laughs> they gave you options about it, and they're all valid points. I love the Iranian perspective because I've been following that, and it's heartbreaking. It and that doesn't bode well. And I don't want to. I don't want to diminish what real life is, but it, from a sporting perspective, but that's the reality of it. They're trying to get to this World Cup, and their right. country is going through uh, a, a huge moment in time. But yeah. I also. We go to go back to those friendlies um, between Uruguay and Morocco and USA look great against two top 20, 25 yeah. ranked teams. So there's good too. But what you said gives me a lot of confidence because these are kids that they are kids. They play yeah. for these top clubs. So every day they get ready. There's fanfare. There's sports cars to the stadiums that are full. <laughs> this is what they're used to. So if you That's go right. to empty stadium, Listen, when you're young, that's what happens. Your brain is like, uh, then you flip that and you're at a World Cup. Yeah. The level is probably going to come up for what you said, Weston McKinney and Tyler Adams and Christian Pulisic. Um, we talk about them playing well at home when they have these home games, when there's a crowd. Right. There it is. And we'd say, well, how are they going to do on the road? But it's not really a road environment. It's a no, neutral. It's Nor is it a travel environment either. It's, it's not. not like it's not like 2014 where we're saying, okay, how far into the Amazon rainforest is this stadium that they built in yeah. Brazil, right? Like it's, it's nothing like that. They're all in the same area. There's just fewer factors than we're used to talking about with the world cup. And um, personally, I'm with you. I think that that's what they're used to. That's the player's element. That's how they've developed. That's what they've relished in. And that's what they've wanted. 
I think that's the other thing too. It's not as if these are players who just happen to be developing abroad, right? Or it's not like it's a a dual national player maybe who, you know, like a John Brooks and a Jermaine Jones heading in 2014 where they were German. They came up through the German youth ranks and they are German and they are American. And so then they decide to play for the U.S. men's national team. And so they, you know, they, their, their path to the program is very different than a player who is a 14-year-old kid from Hershey who decides, you know, I'm going to go sign with Borussia Dortmund's academy and see how this thing goes, right? There's just a very different career path choice made when you're a 30-year-old compared to when you're a 14-year-old. And I think that these players have wanted this moment. They've wanted to embrace that pressure. They've wanted to take it on. Um, now it's up to them to show uh, that they're ready for it. They're spoiled. They they played Stanford Bridge at the Westfalen Stadion and Ellen Road. They don't want to play in an empty park in Dusseldorf. <laughs> exactly. There you no, go. More not. confidence. Right. Jeff, I think I could do 24 hours talking about the World Cup, but I I we will stop here <laughs> to save yourself because you're going to be a very busy man. Jeff Ruder, who works for the Athletic, he's a very talented writer, as you can see here. He's a wonderful talker as well. Uh, follow him and check him out as he and his entire crew of the athletic will be covering the world cup. Jeff, thanks for giving me some confidence in this U S team. I feel a lot better now. Oh, that's good. I can poo poo it in a second. Too. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. You've seen what the worst case is and it's not that bad. It's still, not world that cup. Bad. It's still three games of the U S men's national team in a world cup. Yeah, okay. Look at that. Soak it all in. Don't leave all the bad baggage at the door. It's November 21st, tune in. Let's enjoy this. It's going to be a fun, fun ride. Jeff Ruder, we'll talk to you very soon. Coming up at stoppage time, we'll talk about the Jesse Marsh situation. This is the Soccer OG. Time now for stoppage time and Jesse Marsh in some hot water. This is obviously a big story for us here in the United States because we need Jesse there because you can see the uh, reaping the situation by bringing in a couple American players and there was talk to bring in more and there's that MLS connection with Jack Harrison. So we like Leeds. And a lot has changed since August the 21st. Remember that was the day Leeds destroyed Chelsea 3-0. And we were going bananas. One of the funnest days on Twitter, everyone responding. It was also meant that Leeds had started two wins and a tie from the beginning of the season. And it looked like this was a, a mid-table club. And then, uh, without really getting the doors blown off of them, they didn't get results. And you're like, okay, thanks to that quick start, they're still hanging around. But then another bad result, and then another bad result. And they haven't won since that game. And they've also uh, have lost... In total, four straight. They they did lose badly to Brentford. I think that was one game September the 3rd. Those were some alarm bells being rung. Other than that, competitive in everything. Even against mighty Arsenal. A game they probably should have got a result. Then the Leicester City game in th last Thursday. And then the Fulham game over the weekend, which was at home. It was uh, the current Team America versus the past Team America. But what we've understood is Fulham is always going to be Team America. They have the two Americans on there. Leeds beats that because they have three when you talk about the two players and the manager. Folks at Ellen Road are getting frustrated. Chance of Marcelo Bielsa coming from the stands. And again, I was preparing that we would be talking about the end of the road. Steven Gerrard just lost his job at Aston Villa. I think what the the, the these are two different jobs. I mean, Steven Gerrard lost that team and made some really bad summer moves. Jesse Marsh came in, kept this team afloat last season with a fantastic finish to the season. So they stayed in the Premier League. Then they lost their uh, two best players, uh, Phillips and... Uh, oh my God, forgetting the Bar Barcelona guy. Uh, anyway, it'll come back to me. So there was Rafinha. So they lost both those guys, and then they filled them up with not as much talent, but uh, some good gaps were filled, including Tyler Adams and Brendan Aronson. So uh, it seemed like it was a good enough squad to compete in the Premier League, and it has been. Again, there, there haven't been really bad results, but a couple. And by the way, the Leicester result's not so bad because Leicester's figured things out. They got another win over the weekend. They've made some really good signings. Leeds hope to do what Leicester can, and they didn't, you know, get rid of their manager. They uh, s stuck with it. Granted, their managers had a little bit more success. Uh, Brendan Rodgers, by and large, with what he's been able to do at Leicester City, but that's why you stick with them. 
you want to look to see if they lose the team. And Leeds has not lost the team. So the uh, the goal certainly for uh, Jesse Marsh is to make it past the World Cup so he can get that transfer market. And they need help. Obviously, the striker position, I, I, I was arguing with people on Twitter and they go, Joe Gelhart and Patrick Bamford are good enough. I go, man, Bamford was a couple years ago. He's just not the same player. Gellhart's not ready for it. You certainly could get an upgrade in striker in, in a league where there's so many good strikers. So many guys able to score. And I think that's something he would do. We'd like to get a little more depth and get some defensive help because they, they get rattled for goals a fair amount of time. But this was the week that did it. And obviously they were chasing Fulham. I mean, they, they, for 20 minutes, they were the better team. And then Fulham score. And then they're chasing and they missed their chances. A lot of that's because of the lack of finishing. You know, you watch that game and Brendan Aronson pops off the screen. Jack Aronson is very active. And Rodrigo's very active. These are good players. But they can't, uh, they can't quite get it all together. By the way, Leeds doesn't want to be a firing club. They don't want to be a team that's like, we just fired Marcelo Bill, so we're firing another manager. You don't want it. They don't want that uh, description. The uh, support had come from Leeds for, and it looks like he's okay, at least for another, I think at least two weeks. I mean, I'll, I'll explain why. But they said the board and I are, uniform, are unified, so the support came. Victor, Victor Orta, the club director of football, uh, this was always going to be a big post, and they had a, a, a lot of candidates for Leeds, which is a very attractive coaching position. Obviously, they're a team that were on the lower divisions in the championship, but they always had that clout. It's Leeds, and uh, it's the big club from that part of England in Yorkshire, and they're hugely supported, and they've got good resources. they got some money behind them. They, he wants to play a certain way, and Jesse Marsh hasn't quite had that system work, uh, playing out of the back, which Belsa did so well, uh, engaging the lines in between the defense midfield and strikers. And also to avoid a predict predictability, which I think Leeds has become with the way they play. Teams know how to play them, as you can see it, certainly in Leicester and Fulham. It was almost like, oh, we know what to expect and we'll pick our spots. So now Jesse Marsh, with some support, uh, the fans are restless. I wouldn't say it's comprehensively lost the fans, but, you know, they're in the bottom three now. And, you know, by the way, Fulham up into seventh, so... So Leeds are in the bottom three. They have two wins. They got nine points, you know, which is actually in 18th place, but 19th and 20th have the same amount of points. So Jesse was talking about it. You know, he said, in our good moment, we can be quite good. We can be aggressive and play attractive football with intensity and power. But in our weak moments, we look naive and vulnerable and are too weak defensively. And then he talked about the team. He goes, if we were getting killed in matches, uh, we'd have... That would have to make me worry about it. But it's not like that. I believe things can change quickly. Graham Sunis uh, works for Sky Sports, former uh, pretty high-profile manager player back in the day. Uh, he said about Leeds, they made the change. Whoever was going to get that job would find it difficult, which I found pretty interesting. And he said it's forgiving. It's a Leeds is going to be a very difficult situation. Now, the Premier League as it stands... It's going to be very hard on coaches across the board because of what we talked about when we mentioned Newcastle earlier in the program is that you have these teams with very deep pockets that are getting the best talent in the world. It is a super league, right? You have seven super teams now with Newcastle coming on. Newcastle is just going to get better, but they have hit all their targets with Callum Williams and, and, and uh, Bruno Guimaraes. Uh, they'll continue. Miguel Almiron's revival, uh, well, not revival, but really coming into his own. So um, those seven teams make it very hard because you're not going to get results against them. And now whether you're Brentford or Villa or Crystal Palace or Bournemouth, whomever, if you're not any of those 13 teams that didn't put in that top tier, you can find a bad run of form and you could be gonzo because of it. I think that's the reality of the Premier League now. The top teams are too good. And now you've got, you probably aren't going to get points against those big teams. And you've got to get points against the other teams. And all those 13 teams, there's not much separating them. You know, maybe a team like uh, West Ham, 
Maybe Lester in a good day can separate themselves from the rest, but everyone's kind of the same and they've got money, but they can't go crazy. Especially if they fear relegation, there's a big drop-off. Maybe an eighth or ninth super team will come, but I don't see it because there's money not in those those teams. And the rich get richer, the poor get the picture. Not poor, but you know what I mean. So now we can see what he can do, Jesse Marsh, to save his job. And this is where it looks really bleak. So again, they're in 18th place, nine points, two points behind, 17th place, Leicester. Two wins, three draws, six losses in their 11 games. They do have a, a match in the EFL Cup, so they've progressed there. Now, uh, Liber- Leeds will play Liverpool. And I mean, obviously that sounds like a daunting task, but Liverpool have, you know, coming off a loss to Nottingham Forest. Maybe there's something there as Leeds can get up, but you wouldn't expect them to get a, po- a point. A point would be great, but you wouldn't expect them to get a point, let alone three. Then they have Bournemouth. So if he can get, if Jesse Marsh can get to that Bournemouth game, which would be on November the 5th, he would need to win that. Bournemouth's a tricky out, though. You know, I was watching them against my West Ham United, and they're just, uh, they they had that awful loss to Liverpool in the season, but they're going to be hard. But Leeds at home. Leeds should have got points against Fulham. And they let it slip away. And then they have the EFL Cup November the 9th. Then they have November the 12th at Spurs. Can't imagine they're going to get a point there. Then the break comes and they come back. They host City on December 28th. Travel to Newcastle on New Year's Eve. I just don't know how you make it out of 2022 with that schedule. They have to be looking at the schedule saying he's not going to get through here. I mean, that Bournemouth results there. I mean, if he could get a point against Liverpool, it's nothing's out of reach, really, in the Premier League. Um, you could go all the way to, let's say, 12th place Everton has 13. So you're four points away from 12. So a win, you could go from 18th to 13th. It's pretty packed in the bottom. And we'll have to see uh, uh, what can they do. It's a matter if he loses the team. And what would it happen with the American presence? Obviously, Jesse Marsh would go. They'll keep Tyler Adams and Brennan Aarons. They have to be happy with that. But what does it go beyond there? This would be a huge missed opportunity. We need Jesse there to really build uh, an identity and show that it can be a long-term success. There's a lot of pressure, as we've always said about this position. But it's, this is a tough league, man. It's a tough league. That's why, uh, you know, he got vindicated a bit when Leipzig still struggled after he was relieved there. Uh, but, you know, where would he go? It's tough. It's a tough business, man. The Soccer OG, rate, review, download, subscribe, and tell a friend. Check out the Soccer OG on YouTube. My name, Max Bretos. Check out my World Cup videos currently getting pushed out there. We'll be back again. Try and cover everything and anything possible. I'd like to thank Jeff Ruder again. And as I always like to sign off here, even though it's a Monday. Plus, you know what I mean? Go!